morning, if you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, as we continue our study here in 1 Corinthians, I got up this morning, as I've shared with you before, there are times when you look at a passage and go, Lord, do I really have to teach this? Is, can't we just skip this part? I'm sure everybody's read it. They know it's there. We'll just go to something that's a little more light and fluffy, if you will. And the Lord just really spoke to me and said, no, not only is it important, it's especially important uh, in light of, of where we are in our nation's history, uh, in light of the upcoming presidential election, in light of things that are going on in our state, in light of those things that we are, in essence, being forced to deal with because they're, they're being crammed down the church's throat. Things like gay marriage. Things like it is about to become illegal in this state uh, for us to even talk to someone under the age of 18 uh, about them possibly being able to change from entertaining homosexuality as a lifestyle. Uh, We're being forced to pay for curriculum in our public schools that teaches about gay history. We are being forced to pay for abortions. We are being forced to, in essence, capitulate to the world because of the things that are going on in our government. And largely, and I really want to be as kind and as gentle and offer hope in all of these things as I can today, but we are, in essence, being forced to deal with things that maybe 50 years ago weren't even an issue. They were things that were just simply not in the public square. They're in the public square. And the church is is really being asked to cave in. And unfortunately, large segments of once Bible-believing, Christ-honoring, Christ-professing Christian denominations are caving in to, in essence, say, God's Word did not mean what it said, does not say what it means, and we can interpret it any way we see fit in light of modern sociologic evidence, in light of modern uh, scientific, supposed scientific evidence. And, And I think, family of God, we tread very dangerous ground when we begin to pick and choose what verses we're going to take out of God's Word. And what standards by which God accepts us as his children. The title of this morning's message, and it's part one, was intended to grab your attention. It was not intended to make a statement. Who's in? Who's out? Can we know? Can you be an avowed homosexual and inherit the kingdom of God? Can you be a fornicator? and inherit the kingdom of God? Can you indiscriminately jump from relationship to relationship without regard to God's word? Can you continue in sinful behavior as a child of God and have any assurance whatsoever that you're going to heaven? It's a tough subject, but it's an important one. And it's one that you have the opportunity on a daily basis to go into the world and be salt 
and light. And we can't be good lights if we determine what that light is supposed to be ourselves. God has spoken. And he's spoken very clearly and very loudly on many issues. Before we begin this morning, I want to give you a major caveat alert. Ultimately, only God, only God knows who truly is saved and who is not. But he's given us sufficient guidelines that we can have great assurance in our own lives as we walk in obedience to his word. We can have a very clear understanding of what God accepts and what God doesn't. And when God speaks, we need to listen. We need to obey. And so this morning I pray uh, to deal with the subject matter before us with great tenderness. I mean no hurt or harm. I'm not trying to draw attention to any specific sinful behavior. But I think we've reached that place in time where if we do not stand for the Lord, then I would suppose that we are in some measure standing against him. And I want to stand for the Lord. And I want to teach his word faithfully. And so this morning we'll pick up in verse 8. Would you pray with me? Lord God in heaven, who authored these words, Lord, your Holy Spirit, speaking through the Apostle Paul, as he wrote these things down. Lord, this is not the only place that these things are contained in your word. They begin in the Old Testament. They carry through into the New. And Father God, we we want your voice to speak to us this morning. Give us ears to receive the things that you will say. Help us to take your word at its clear and face value. Lord, never to determine for ourselves what you accept, but rather accept what you have told us. We bless you. We praise you. Ask now that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So does Scripture give us an indication of who's in and who's out? Verse 8, it says, Know you yourselves, do wrong and cheat. And so he's drawing attention. Remember last time that we looked at Christians in court. And as I shared with you, there is no biblical prohibition against Christians using the legal system, uh, even if necessary, against one another, if that is the only recourse. If the biblical standards have been met. In other words, there's an application of Matthew chapter 18. You've gone to that person. They did not receive you. You've taken others. They would not hear it. You've brought it to the church. You've met with pastors. You've mediated that thing. You've done everything you possibly can to avoid going to court. And it is a serious issue. It's not something that somebody ran over your chicken and you're just going to get them. And so in light of that, in light of how we ought to conduct ourselves, because we don't want the, the Lord getting a black eye from our behavior in the world. And it is, it is despicable 
what Christians do to one another in the world that God gets the blame for. And so that is the, that is the standard that's been set now, as he says in verse 8, No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. He's saying, come on, guys. If we want to have an effective witness in the world, and I want to paraphrase this for you, if we are going to have any effect in our world for the cause of Christ, we cannot be hypocrites. We have to live what we teach. We have to be the example to everyone else. We can't be living in sexual sin. We can't be drunkards. We cannot be cheats and liars and expect anyone else to believe a word we say about the God we serve and the one who loves them. Our lives have to match that standard as best we possibly can if we want to affect the world for Jesus. Because they won't believe a word we say if we live exactly as we tell them not to. Amen? That's the problem that we have in our world. It's one of the greatest things that I think the, face, the, the church faces this, this day. It's one of the reasons that God's name is blasphemed in the media. It's one of the reasons that people don't want to come to church. Well, it's filled with, anybody ever heard the church is filled with hypocrites? Raise your hand. Yeah, probably most of us. The church is filled with hypocrites. You know the sad part? That's true. It is true. And I'm not saying you, and I'm not saying this church, but I'm saying the, the church, the body of Christ at large. We need to fix that. We need to stand for what God stands for. And so now he goes on and gives what is potentially one of the most pointed pieces of Scripture found in your Bible, with regard to sin and sinful behavior, second only maybe to Romans chapter 1. Certainly, if you were to take the law of the Old Testament, it is far more detailed. And I want to give you a very simple thing to lay hold of here. Oftentimes, we like to take a specific thing from this passage and go, Oh, see? Idolater. Fornicator. The way this is written in the original language, as Paul was writing this, it is a polysententon. It uses the conjunction, in this case, or, to link together thought after thought after thought after thought into a single thought. And so when he says... Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He first begins by making a statement. Guys, let's face it. God accepts righteousness. He doesn't accept unrighteousness. And praise God that we are righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? We are not perfect. Romans chapter 7 and 8 reminds us that the man writing this story under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the one who drafted these particular words, also addressed sin in his own life as an apostle. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me, the apostle Paul, from this body of death? 
Paul was not sinlessly perfect even as an apostle. Paul sinned. But he did not practice sin. And by practice, we're talking about continual, ongoing, unrepentive, pervasive, absolutely a part of your daily character. You live for it. It is who you are. It is not something you're ashamed of. You walk in it without any remorse whatsoever. He's talking about that kind of sin can't be in the life of a child of God. You should question your own place in the kingdom if that is the case. I do not judge you. Scripture does tell you emphatically, you can't do it. It tells me, I can't do it. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Notice what it says, do not be deceived. Who is the deceiver? It is Satan himself. Amen? That is his chief tactic. So what he's saying to you is, in a paraphrase, do not believe the lies of the enemy. He is going to tell you that you're perfectly okay as a bitter, mean-spirited, hateful, and angry person. He is going to tell you you're justified in that relationship with someone you're not married to because you're not being taken care of at home physically. He's going to tell you it's okay to take that other person's money because, after all, people have taken advantage of you. He's going to tell you lie after lie after lie after lie in hopes that you will be deceived. That you'll lay hold of it. You'll, you know what? I deserve to be able to do this. And if anybody really knew my situation, they would have no problem with me being like this. It makes sense. It's logical. People in the world are telling me it's okay. We'll get to the other part of this next time. Notice what he says. Do not be deceived. And he goes on, and here it becomes this long list of things that I told you, in a, a sense, are really one continuous thought. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, no, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying, family of God, you can't keep your old sinful behavior and claim Christ too. You can't hang on to the old way of life and say that you're redeemed. You, you can't keep the old man and the new man together. You absolutely ought to see those old ways for what they are. Now, having said that, is he talking about someone who stumbles or slips or has struggles? I don't believe so. Because if he were, it would negate the grace of God. 
because then it would become about sinless perfection in works. So it's not talking about sinless perfection. And we're going to find out that it's actually clearly spoken to us shortly. It's not talking about you never, ever, ever, ever again getting drunk. It's not talking about you seeing something on the Internet that you shouldn't see. It's not talking about you having something in your home that doesn't belong to you and you're sorry about it. He's talking about a way of life that is pervasive and unrepentant. He's saying you can't be, and hear me well, and I want to go on record, there is no such thing as a Christian homosexual. You can't claim to be gay and to be a Christian. Why? Because the Bible says so. And it says it plainly. Now let me help you even further. You also can't claim to be an adulterer. And I'm okay with God. You can't claim that, hey, I just like everybody else's stuff, so I steal it, and God's okay with it. This is why what you think matters. Because what you think, you then say to other people. The church is supposed to be salt and light in the world. And if the church is salt and light in the world, we're supposed to be teaching the same truth that we ourselves have been taught. And the reason I just said that, the way I said it, is this. If you are convinced that someone is okay and they're gay and that they can go to heaven, you don't disagree with Jeff, you disagree with God. You don't disagree with my particular interpretation. You disagree with the plain statements of Yahweh, Lord of hosts. It's not up to you to make that decision. And the moment you tell somebody they can remain a homosexual, or they can remain an adulterer, or they can remain a murderer, or they can remain bitter and unforgiving, you have plainly countermanded the teaching of the Holy Bible, not Jeff. And because that's true, you are helping someone stay in darkness. You're aiding them in saying to God, I don't believe you. I don't trust you. I can't overcome this. Family of God, we've got to be very careful. And we need to stand where God stands. It's not up to me. And that's hard. It puts you in places where you have to say things that you don't want to say to other people. Now, having said that, can people struggle with same-sex attraction? Absolutely. And be saved. Because they're struggling. They hate it. They don't like it. They don't want to be that way. It's a revulsion to them. And they are doing what they can 
God's grace is sufficient when we are hearing the voice of God and we're saying, Lord, I don't want to live this way, but I'm struggling. I hate the way I live. Because if you see it from that perspective, aren't we all in that boat? I can pretty much guarantee you, and I don't want to show a hand, and I sure don't want a list from any of you, <laughs> of the things that according to Scripture you struggle with. Okay, But you're struggling with it. When those things come up in your life, you're conflicted. You, you, you're hurt. It bothers you that you think that way. That's a very different matter than unrepentant living in exactly what Scripture declares you can't be and go to heaven. Very different. And here's where we need to bury this underneath the grace of God. It is not for you and it's not for me to determine what struggling actually is. I can't tell you. But I can tell you emphatically that if you don't care about some issue of sin in your life, and you walk up to me and you tell me, man, I, I just believe God's called me to be a murderer. I, I believe God told me I can just steal until there's nothing left to steal. You know, I don't have to be faithful to my wife. You know what? I don't have to love my husband. And you don't care? You are in deep trouble with God. Not with Jeff. Deep trouble with God. Because his word says that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. And if the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you, there's going to be conviction of sin and of righteousness. And the whole time you're thinking those things, the Holy Spirit's going, Jeff, you can't think that way. And the result of that is, Lord, I'm sorry. I can't believe I'm still struggling with that. And you care. But beware when you don't care. Beware when you try and make the Bible say what you want it to say. Beware when you start accepting everything because Joe Scientist said so. And it flatly denies what Scripture teaches. You see, if the Corinthian church or this church really believes what God's Word actually says, and we really believe the high cost of our salvation, Scripture declares, how then can we live in sin any longer? We shouldn't be living in it. And so now he goes on. And this is so important. Please underline and highlight verse 11. And such were past tense, not present, not active, not engaged in, no longer a lifestyle, some of you. The reason it says some, often misinterpreted, is not because all of them didn't, study, didn't struggle with sin, all of them didn't struggle with this particular list of sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Plain statement. 
For the heart is deceitful, it is desperately wicked, and who can know it? Paul, writing at the end of his life, said, And of sinners, of whom I am chief, at the end of his life, as as an apostle. What it's saying is, and such were some of you, some in this room used to live in these things, and you were unrepentant, and you didn't really care. But you were washed. Hallelujah. But you were sanctified. Thank you, Jesus. You see, what's laid out next is nothing less than the finished work of the cross. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Notice the Trinity here. By the Spirit of our God. All three persons of the Godhead. You see, we used to be like this. And because of the way this is constructed, it's not an exhaustive list. Nor should it be one that says, well, see, I'm not in this group, so I'm fine. What's being said is, if you don't care about things that you know to be contrary to the word of God, you need to check and see where you're at with the Lord. And you need to encourage other people to do exactly the same thing. People often say to me, well, you know, uh, it says this in the King James. It doesn't say that in the New King James. It doesn't say that in the New Living Translation or a New International Version. Family of God, all of them are bad, okay? I don't care what version you have. Read the list for yourself. You're going to come away with, ooh, that's not good. And, And so as we look at these and we study what the rest of Scripture says, We need to do a couple of things, I think, very importantly. Number one, in Jesus' name, back away from the the high horse cliff. Because all of us are in deep trouble without the grace of God. Amen? Not one of us is getting to heaven without Jesus. He said that, not Jeff. John 14, 6. Amen? I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So without the grace of God, every one of us are still in this list. But because of the grace of God, we can overcome the things that are in this list. And does that mean that maybe you're going to struggle in some areas of your life? Highly likely. Does that mean that you're going to walk on this earth in utter sinless perfection? I feel sorry for people that think that they can do that. I really do. It should be everyone's goal. It should be our aim to walk as closely as we can to the mandates and the dictates of Scripture. It should be what we shoot for. It should be our goal. It should be one of those things that each of us says, you know what, Lord, I want to walk as close to you as I possibly can, and I sure don't want to walk as far away from you as I possibly can, asking the question, can I do this and still be saved? Do you hear what I just said? None of us should be saying, how much can I get away with? We should all be saying, what can I get rid of? 
But it is God's grace that keeps you. It is God's grace that keeps me. But when we spit on the grace of God, when we say to the Lord, you didn't mean that, when we pick and choose our pet sins that we're okay with. And again, remember, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list of everything that's not okay with God. It's representative of the plain teachings of Scripture. Can I say to you, there's an awful lot of things that are not okay with God? We could add to this list bitterness, anger, hate, unforgiveness, being unloving, being unkind. You see, the person that is habitually unkind has a problem with God too. The person that's habitually mean-spirited has a problem with God too. It should be something that we look at and go, Lord, help me to help me to struggle with this. I don't want to be comfortable in my anger. I don't want to be comfortable in my uh, my hateful thoughts. I don't want to be comfortable in being unloving. Uh, Lord, I want what you want for me. You see, when I live my life like that, it does a couple of very wonderful things. Number one, it makes me understand. I myself haven't arrived. Thank God for what Paul said. Who will deliver me? I'm not perfect either. But I sure want to be. And there's another thing that I do. I look at it and go, Lord, what are you trying to say to Jeff through this? What do you want me to do with what you've said? How do you want me to act? What do you expect of me, God? God, I I want to be pleasing to you. And I know I fail. You see, family of God, there's a big difference between struggling with something and bathing yourself in it. There is a huge difference between having something that, that is in your life and you just absolutely loathe its very existence And yet occasionally it still pops its ugly head up in your life. And someone who relishes in that behavior and begins to say, Hey, I can't help myself. If you had lived my life, you'd understand why. And God's got to be okay with it. When Scripture speaks, Scripture speaks. It's one of the reasons we have to have an opinion on gay marriage. And there is exactly one opinion for the church to have on gay marriage. Never. Because God's not okay with it. And for me to tell people that God's okay with it is to doom them to walk in rebellion to God's plain teaching of his word. That doesn't mean I hate people who are engaged in that behavior. It means exactly the opposite. My heart should be broken and grieved. But I must maintain the standard that God has. I don't get to pick and choose the standards. We hear so much in our world today, specifically on this subject, and I don't want to belabor it, but there is massive amounts of scientific evidence 
that indicates that a vast majority of what you hear in the news and what you read in magazines is nothing more than propaganda. I read study after study after study. Some of the chief people engaged in the study of the genetic link, suppose it, of homosexuality. There is almost zero evidence that there is anything to do with genetics and homosexuality. You can be predisposed, but that does not mean predetermined. Huge difference between those two things. And so and so, well, you know, the Bible's just outdated. No, it's not. And God meant what he said. And said what he meant. We need to be careful about changing what God's word plainly states to match the mores of our day. National Association for Research and Therapy of Homosexuality, Dr. Francis Collins, one of the world's leading DNA researchers, said this. He said, for virtually no genetic disposition, none of them is, there, is, hereditary, is heredity ever close to definably predictive. One of the top researchers in the world. He would go on to say, and this is an article that he wrote, which was published, called Homosexuality is Not Hardwired. It's from 2007, which is very recent when you look at how long it takes to compile things and get them published. He said, in our study of identical twin homosexual males being gay, He said their chances are only 20% as compared to 2 to 4% of the general population, indicating that sexual orientation is genetically influenced, but certainly not hardwired by DNA. And yet, time after time after time after time, you're told, I can't help but be gay. I was born this way. There is no proof whatsoever that's definitive. I said that very specifically for a reason. In other words, there isn't a proof text. There is no proof study. There isn't anything that indicates that that's true. There are guesses and there are presuppositions. And there are certain amounts of evidence that say there are some difficulties, but what they're not saying is the same is true for fornication. The same is true for propensity to drink alcohol. The same is true for virtually every human behavior you can think of. The other thing that is not mentioned is that what we are doing is we are, in essence, attempting to reverse engineer DNA. We have the end result. We look at it trying to find links, believing that we can find out why it is so. That is hardly an exact science. Now, having said all those things, why do I say them? Because your kids are being told they can't help themselves. Your kids are being forbidden. We're we're on the cusp of passing laws in this state 
your kids are, are going to be forbidden from seeking help if they have same-sex attraction. You will not be able to send them to a counselor until they turn 18. Study after study after study. And yet we're led to believe that these things are inescapable conclusions due to our genetic makeup. The same is said with anger. The same is said with hate. It's being treated as if it's the same as being born black or being born Asian or being born an American Native American. And what they're really saying is God's outdated God's outmoded. God didn't know what he was doing. Scripture's not inspired. And that's the attack. And so the church is going, well, you know, Dr. Spitzer said, Dr. Collins said, Dr. Dean said. Problem is, is you don't get the full report. You get little tiny tidbits of that information. Little blurbs shot out to you in the news media with the intent to sway your opinion away from the inerrancy of the Word of God. Stick with the Word of God. Because if we're right, people's souls are changed and their eternal destiny becomes heaven. If we're wrong, oh well, somebody wasn't gay. Somebody you know, was told they probably shouldn't be drunk every day. Is that really going to hurt them? The other day, if I'm wrong on that, I'll take that. I'll take that chance. But I'm not going to take the chance going against God's plain teaching of his word. That would be something I can't live with. And so Paul speaking on these issues, and, and I, again, I really don't want to belabor this. You can do your own research. It's very easy to find the truth. I could list you quote after quote after quote after website after website after book after book after study after study, just endless, hundreds of them. We need to rightly interpret what our Bibles say. And so what I want to leave you with is, and such were, past tense, some of you. And in hearing that, you know what happens to me? I get really compassionate and really tender. And I go, man, God, help me to not be, not be mean. Help me to not say hurtful things. Help me to guard my words. Help me to be kind and tender and gentle. Help me to speak the truth in love. Help me to bear your love to the world. Because I haven't been saved my whole life. I was born like everybody else. Headed for the wrong place but for grace. I was once lost. I was blind. Now I can see. And such were some of you. Such 
was me. But I was washed. And I was justified. And we need to help people find the grace of God to be washed and justified and sanctified so that they can be found in Christ Jesus, so that they'll care, so that they'll look at the depths of the things that they're going through, and it will bother them. And they will be struggling, not accepting. Family, I want you to know something very, very, very clearly. There is no sin God can't forgive. Including every one of the ones we just named. There's not one. Don't make this passage say something any different than that. Because it doesn't. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourself. It's a gift of God. And none of us can boast. Those should be the last words out of our mouths. As we confront sin, as we say, no, brother, you can't live that way. No, it's not okay to be gay. As we, as we talk about these things in the public square and we stand for what the Lord stands for, we need to also stand in His grace. Amen? We need to leave people with the hope of the cross of Christ as sufficient for all of our weaknesses and faults and failures. God's love is greater than his wrath. He doesn't want to pour out his wrath, but he has to because he's holy. So let's leave people in God's love. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we draw this service to a close, Lord, we ponder these things. We pray that arching over all of it, Lord, bathing every word would be your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. Lord, available to all who will ask. And Lord, we pray, I pray, for those that maybe even this morning are here in this place and they're struggling. They've been encased in bitterness their whole life. Hurt has overwhelmed them. God, they're struggling with some behavior in this long list, Lord, that is all linked together. Lord, just saying we should be past tense, used to be, washed up sinners. Sinners that are tired of sinning. Sinners that hate sin. God, help us to walk in this world uprightly. As the enemy seeks to deceive, help us to hide your truth in our hearts that we might not sin. Lord, grant us victory. Help us to overcome. We love you 
we praise you, we bless you, and all God's people said, Amen.